For about a year or so, the hot new thing in investing in the US has been direct indexing. This is when an individual investor has a bespoke index created for them, which can then be tracked by a fund or portfolio. Several big fund houses have invested a lot of money in the US in this recently, including Vanguard and BlackRock, but direct indexing now seems to be making its way across the Atlantic. Last week, Platform Fundment announced it would allow advisors to build and manage customised index funds at a cost of 10 basis points. So, are we at the start of a direct indexing revolution? I'm Damien Fantato, Deputy Editor of FT Advisor, and with me to discuss this are Mike Barrett, Consulting Director at the Lancat, and Jonathan Warren, Head of Innovation at Altus. Hello, both. Hi there. Hi, Damien. Hi. So, uh, I gave a brief uh, rundown of, of what direct indexing is uh, just then, but do either of you feel that you need to sort of fill in any blanks that I left in my definition of what it is and how it works, uh, Jonathan? No, I don't think so. Okay. We'll get, obviously get into the detail through, through the podcast. Cool. Great. And Mike, I guess not. I, I, th- I think the thing for me is maybe, maybe before we, we do dive into the detail around the solution, there's it's perhaps worth taking a, a brief step back and kind of looking at some wider trends that we see mm. see in the invite sector, sure, particularly through our research. Yeah, go on, And yeah. I think the, the, the big one which kind of drives jumps straight into my mind here is kind of the, the gradual trend to for a, a financial advice firm to to outsource from if not all of their their investment proposition so mo- most advice firms tend to be quite small i think 90 percent are less than five advisors about half are one one advice firm so actually they don't necessarily they, they often won't have the the resources the scale the experience that a an external investment manager and can bring to their clients. You kind of bring in consumer duty and foreseeable harms, focus on value for money, all the rest of those types of things. And that starts to lead, lead increasingly advisors to conclude that actually I'll concentrate on financial planning and will appoint an external investment manager to do the investment side of things. And I think this is this is where um, custom indexing, direct indexing gets gets interesting it's not necessarily for me about the individual advisors driving it it's more about a specialist investment manager who now has some pretty exciting technology and um, new things to play with in their toolkits to be able to deliver those solutions to advisors and their clients Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. interesting so um Jonathan, given that uh, direct indexing is now making its way across uh, the, to the UK, are, are we are we at the start of uh, of uh, direct indexing's uh, inevitable invasion uh, of the UK? Do you think? Uh, yeah, it's it's certainly an approach that you can see gaining some interest and traction in the UK, as, as Mike said. Uh, I think if you look at some of the trends in the market, they all point to a bit of a perfect storm for direct indexing to gain some interest in market share. Not least because things US trends tend to eventually find their way over here. Um, I think firstly you've got passive investing, so that's continuing to grow, accounting uh, for twenty-eight percent of fund sales last year compared to twenty-one percent the previous year. And I think, as Mike mentioned, you know, investors and intermediaries that act on their behalf are sort of continue to be persuaded by the, the performance of passives over the long term, particularly net of the transaction costs, um, linked to fees and, and consumer duties. Obviously, a, a highly relevant example of that. Um, a lot of regulation is increasingly focused on value for money and the total cost to serve. Um, so in taxing and passive investing uh, is one tool to keep costs low. We're sort of talking about the announcement from Fundment, um, and there are a few key elements to that. The, the first is the sophistication of the proposition and technology. 
you know, the technology is now there to take a lot of the effort and cost out of buying individual stocks with the correct weightings that constitute the makeup of the index and therefore it's going to track its performance rather than through a through a fund or an ETF. Not just the initial effort, of course, but of the sort of the rebalancing and making sure it's aligned to the weightings of the index. That used to bring with it transaction costs um, that caused a drag on performance or, or made it unviable to even even do it. But you kind of zero commission trading and and lower, reducing costs have largely taken that blocker away. So it's something that's that's more viable than it was previously. Like a lot of innovations, they, they tend to start out only sort of viable to the you know kind of the wealthy elite, as it were. Um, but as technology and propositions get better, um, access tends to broaden. Fractional shares is is sort of one of the things that's really broad and access of viability to doing direct indexing. You know, if you wanted to track the S&P 500 um, without fractional shares, you, you know, you need $5,000 just to buy a share in NVR. Would be half a million if Berkshire Hathaway didn't have a B class. Um, so fractional shares have clearly been a big part of making it more, more accessible to more people at lower levels of wealth. Um, and finally, we, we've talked about direct indexing, um, but what Fundment have developed is, is custom indexing. Uh, and I think this is probably where some, some evolution of value add is starting to come in. Um, we know that consumers are looking for personalization. We know they're becoming much more discerning um, and ESG being the most sort of prevalent high profile example. Um, you know, you can now have a have now track the index, but you could remove um, for ethics. You could reduce weightings in certain sectors because you think macroeconomic conditions aren't favorable to that sector um, or simply just don't hold stocks that you don't want to don't want to own. Mm-hmm. Mike, I'm, I'm guessing from your comments earlier that you would agree that this is probably going to become a, an increasingly common part of of the, of the landscape in the UK. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with everything Jonathan says, but I think in particularly kind of emphasise his final point there. I think about the the client need or the client demand, the the client use cases, if you like, for for this type of solution. There's there's a danger sometimes in financial services that we get very, very clever propositions, which are very, very clever. And everyone can look at it and think it's intellectually really quite smart, but there's virtually no client demand for it. They're trying to solve a problem which doesn't exist. But I think the the custom indexing side, yeah, Jonathan talks about kind of the increasing demand for personalization in in the ESG space. There's, There's clear demand from a segment of consumers for that. And that can be quite dangerous and difficult to implement for an advisor or an investment manager, whoever's doing it without technology really, really helping not only implement it, but also explain to the customer uh, what's happening in terms of potential returns, risk profile, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Charities, I think, is is another really obvious area as well where, um, yeah, the, the classic example of a cancer charity not wanting to invest in tobacco stocks out that type of thing and purely from a commercial point of view the, the sums involved there tend to be quite large as well so actually yeah if you like helps the business case tick along with it you're, you're not doing um any any fans five thousand pound high if you're doing a charity case on behalf of the trustees there as well so i think that that's that that's the that's the smart part, I think, if you like, around this. It's starting to address some real client needs and demands which are out there, which should, should help it become a little bit more mainstream over time. Mm-hmm. So, so Mike, just to sort of take that point further, I suppose, you know, target markets are, are, are very important uh, these days. And so do you, do you imagine that the sort of client that 
is going to be most interested in this is a client with a uh, an, an, an ethical or, or an ESG bent rather than somebody who basically just needs a, a 60-40 portfolio or a bog standard you know portfolio that is has a some combination of asset, equities and bonds i think so i think when 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 we talk with with advisors and providers about target markets it, it's always about kind of focusing both on what the client needs but also what they want and that those wants might be a particularly violent view on 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 esg and certain stocks it might just be that they want to be involved and they want to have engagement and they want to be able to feel that they've got some sort of personalization around it and going right back to the advisor trend for outsourcing one of the i think most advisors kind of would probably agree with the, the drivers to that which we talked about consumer duty etc cetera, etc cetera. but actually one of the pushbacks that we get is that it's going to be a cookie cutter service which they're going to get which their clients are going to um, get if they outsource they're going to end up in the same model portfolio that thousands of other clients around are using them and you're going to lose that kind of personal touch that the advisors are really good at delivering with it with their clients mm-hmm. so i think that it's yes if there if there are kind of specific needs there but even for a kind of a less a less kind of involved um client the Jonathan touched on some of the technology that this has been wrapped around in terms of the wider proposition. That 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 I think I can see that helping with consumer understanding part of of, of the consumer duty. Never, never mind the value for money side of things. Actually, having technology to help explain this is how your investments are structured. This is what's going on in the underlying assets. This is how they're performing, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Irrespective of the product or the fund solution within that, I think that that type of thing. Could, could become quite important. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jonathan? Do you think there's a particular type of client that this, this is most likely going to be a- appealing to, or just is it just going to become the standard for everybody? Yeah, so I, I suppose at the outset you are still talking about st- stocks and shares, aren't you? So in terms of a target market, you're looking at someone with a with a tolerance for risk and a capacity for loss in the short term. I think going beyond that, we talked a lot about sort of through intermediaries such as financial advisors and wealth managers. Uh, I think in the US, this is something that you can do directly, um, but it feels quite sophisticated and time consuming for your sort of average direct investor. But having said that, we know that, you know, through the free trading apps and the availability of information and access to experts in inverted commas, you know, there's so many more people doing stuff directly. Um, I think it will be an intermediate proposition, particularly. Um, obviously, you do need the tools and technology like Fundament to make it easy to run direct indexing, very similar to, I guess, the way you would do a model portfolio on a platform, automating the weightings and the rebalancing and those kinds of things. Um, I think it will be appealing to financial advisors to be able to say, you know, we can track and index, but show that value out to a customer that says, you know, we can personalize the portfolio for you around your around your preferences. Um so a, a, a typical index track has a, quite a broad target market. So I guess why should direct indexing be be any different? Um, you know, they're generally low risk in comparison to holding individual stocks and shares, knowing volatility, but better benefiting from the performance of the index. I guess the risk when you get into custom indexes is that you do begin to move away from pure tracking performance of the indexing. Um, so, you know, if a direct investor wants to do it without suitable checks and balances, the outcome ultimately through sort of tracking areas could be actually very different to to, to tracking the index. Um, so I guess what you might see is is providers building up propositions that are sort of guarded, I guess. You know, you can track the index, but there's some 
there's some preset configurability in terms of you know you could take out certain esg preferences or again add a certain stock to a, a don't buy list mm-hmm, mm-hmm. interesting and and uh, the, the, on the points that you touched there around um you know it being intermediated or being direct uh, this is coming over from the us and and, and most countries have uh, distribution systems which are idiosyncratic in, in their various different ways how, how do you th- um, imagine that direct indexing is likely to be distributed in the in the uk uh, Jonathan? Good question. Um, like I say, I, I think for your average investor, I don't think they're terribly contemplative of sort of direct indexing. I, I think it will be a service offered through financial advisors and wealth managers. I think there's the value for them in terms of tracking the index, but being able to tailor to client preferences. And I, as I said, I do think that it's going to rely on the technology and propositions to follow fundament and have offerings that are sort of easy and cost effective to do it. Um, as you say, it's a strategy that's really taken off in the, in the US. I think it's going to grow to about 800 billion by 2026 is, is the prediction. Um, but as I said, medium term, I can see providers potentially offering it direct, but in a very um, pre-configured way. You can, we will track an index. We will do all the trading and the rebalancing and weightings for you. Um, but there are some exclusion options that you can can play with, but they're very much defined within within sort of guardrails as well. Mm-hmm. And Mike, as I suppose you know everything there is to know about platforms. I suppose this is, depends a lot on um, this depends a lot on platforms, uh, doesn't it, uh, if, for this to become available to financial advisors. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it certainly struck me, listening to what Jonathan was saying there, that actually, if a direct investor is sophisticated enough, and perhaps I've got sophisticated there in inverted commas, but um, we, we might be able to question it, it from an investment point of view. But if they're the type of person who wants to pick their own stocks and construct their own portfolio around those stocks and shares, there's some there's a number of perfectly adequate um, well-established in some cases platforms, uh, some of the more shiny fintech app systems as well, which will allow a direct investor to be able to do that. They're going to go in and basically use them to implement an order that they've already kind of researched and constructed elsewhere. I think in the in the intermediary sector, I, I do think it will be initially the, the DFMs and the wealth managers that will start to gravitate award towards this i think they they will have the, the the skills and the expertise and the experience of stock picking that a, a typical advice firm won't have and the the pace of change in those dfms tends to be a lot faster than a typical advice firm as well but the the advisors whether they are outsourcing or insourcing they will be running a centralized investment proposition and that doesn't tend to get reviewed that frequently and probably rightly so so actually it's quite hard for any product provider whether it's a traditional fund solution or whatever to get a foot in the door into that advice firm centralized investment proposition i think it, i think it would need a little bit more on the supply side from the from the investment managers to to really start to stimulate that change mm-hmm. are there any particular barriers to this um taking off in in, in a big way at the moment um um, uh, I think I think the the pace of change, I guess, in the in the the advice sector and the the ability to implement change in the advice sector is is a is a barrier for a lot of things. Like I said, the, the most firms are so small that they are running businesses, giving advice to their clients, et cetera, et cetera, dealing with consumer duty and all the rest of that stuff. So where does kind of something like this? It's the same if, if if this was a new platform or something like that. It's the same kind of challenge which 
don't which providers will, will always face around it mm-hmm. um i think the i think it also i think the other kind of trigger that might happen is we we hear kind of potential talk reasonably frequently around esg regulation and actually starting to have further requirements for advisors to ask and to assess a client esg preferences from a suitability point of view i think it, that that's something which a good number of advisors do at the moment but it's only through choice rather than compulsion on the regulatory side and mm-hmm. if that, i think if that if that changes then that's suddenly suddenly quite a nice regulatory stick where now that you have to ask somebody their preferences you're going to have to have some way to deal with those preferences depending on what the what answers you get mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. jonathan do you see, do you see any particular barriers to, to this taking off in the uk yeah, I think I think awareness is, is probably one of them from a client perspective. I, th- I think probably technology is is another part. I think obviously fundment have made the move, um, but I think it's actually quite a complicated thing to do, isn't it? If you haven't got the technology that's going to automate the the buying of the index, it's uh, the weightings that's required, and obviously rebalancing it. So I think you need the demand, um, and then obviously the providers will, will follow suit to to make sure they've got a proposition to be able to do that for advisors. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan, just to stay with you for, for this final point, I guess, um, we've spoken a little bit about um, the, the, some of the positives, the fact that it might appeal to, um, you know, help for, with ESG investing, the fact that it's going to be low cost. Are there any particular um, cons that uh, advisors need to bear in mind? Is this a, definitely a, a wholesale improvement on on what has come before? I think the, the the downside, the potential con that kind of comes into my mind, um, is is more on the direct side. If, it, if 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 consumers were doing this themselves, there is that, uh, as Jonathan said, kind of ten minutes or so ago, you've got to have a, a pretty high kind of tolerance for and capacity for for a risk. There's there's a reasonably high potential to self harm um, doing stock trading if you are. A, uh, direct to consumer investor or if you're any investor and we saw that kind of a couple of years ago with some of the meme stock trading that was that was going on there and um kind of amplified by the, the volatility that the market was displaying them but following the herd and trying to time the market experienced investment professionals know it's not going to be a sensible strategy you would hope most advisors are shielding their clients from making those types of decisions, and I would expect that to be the case. So I think in the advice sector, that that layer of suitability and professionalism that the advisor will bring to the table is, is a real positive. But I would just be yeah, ever so slightly nervous, I think, if if that if it's in a direct consumer environment. Mm. Jonathan, what do you think? Yeah, I think I think it offers more choice and flexibility, but of course that comes with complexity and risk. So direct, direct the direct indexing part feels relatively straightforward. It's the same concept as a fund or an ETF. You you know you're going to buy a basket of stocks and shares that that, that make up the index. Um, the evolution and concern is probably in the custom indexing um, and the flexibility that offers. You know I can see the value of excluding certain assets and ESG is obviously a well-known example of that. I guess the concern is, is you tilt so far away from the index that I'm not sure actually what you've ended up investing in, um, other than really an over-diversified set of stocks. 
Um, so, I mean, I think ultimately, going back to that question you asked, of, is it better than what came before? Is it that much of an improvement on index trackers for your average investor? Unless they really want to do something sophisticated, I'd argue it's it's probably not. So I think it, it will be really interesting to see whether this really, really gets a foothold in the UK like it has in the US. Mm-hmm. I guess it's kind of, um, it also highlights the fact that it's all very well and good creating your own index. But if you're, similar to what Mike was saying, if you're, changing the underlying index that your um you know that your whatever your fund or portfolio is supposed to be tracking then you're not really you don't really have an index at all you're just you're just creating a, a you're basically just investing in in assets or funds basically yeah exactly yeah it, yeah and yeah potential benefit to be fairly highly concentrated if you, if you don't know what you're doing and yeah lots of things that could go wrong Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. Okay, great. Well, um, thanks, uh, Mike, and um, thank you, Jonathan, for your time. Um, and thank you for listening and tune in again uh, next week for the next edition of the FT Advisor podcast. Thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.